Section sixty of the Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume One by James Boswell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Granger's Sugar Cane, I Type Fifty Five. In this year, except what he may have done in revising Shakespeare, we do not find that he laboured much in literature. He wrote a review of Granger's Sugar Cane, a poem, in the London Chronicle. He told me that Dr. Percy wrote the greatest part of this review, but I imagine he did not recollect it distinctly, for it appears to be mostly, if not altogether, his own. Footnote. Granger wrote to Percy on April the 6th, 1764. Samuel Johnson says he will review it in the Critical. In August 1765 he wrote, I am perfectly satisfied with the reception the sugar cane has met with, and am greatly obliged to you and Mr. Johnson for the generous care you took of it in my absence. Prior's Goldsmith He was absent in the West Indies. He died on December the 16th, 1766. Ibid. The review of the sugar cane in the critical review is certainly by Johnson, the following passage is curious. The last book begins with a striking invocation to the genius of Africa, and goes on to give proper instructions for the buying and choice of Negroes. The poet talks of this ungenerous commerce without the least appearance of detestation, but proceeds to direct these purchases of their fellow-creatures with the same indifference that a groom would give instructions for choosing a horse. Clear roll their ample eye, their tongue be red, broad swell their chest, their shoulders wide expand, not prominent their belly, clean and strong their thighs and legs in just proportion rise. See also post March the twenty first, seventeen seventy six, end of footnote. He also wrote in the Critical Review an account of Goldsmith's excellent poem, The Traveller. Footnote. Johnson thus ends his brief review. Such is the poem on which we now congratulate the public as on a production to which, since the death of Pope, it will not be easy to find anything equal. Critical Review, page 462, end footnote. Johnson's Self-Accusations, Anno Domini, 1764 The ease and independence to which he had at last attained by royal munificence increased his natural indolence. In his meditations he thus accuses himself. Good Friday, April the 20th, 1764 I have made no reformation. I have lived totally useless, more sensual in thought, and more addicted to wine and meat. Footnote, Prayers and Meditations, page 50, Boswell. He adds, I hope to put my rooms in order. Disorder I have found one great cause of idleness. End footnote. And next morning he thus feelingly complains, my indolence since my last reception of the sacrament has sunk into grosser sluggishness. 
and my dissipation spread into wilder negligence my thoughts have been clouded with sensuality and except that from the beginning of this year i have in some measure forborne excess of strong drink my appetites have predominated over my reason a kind of strange oblivion has overspread me so that i know not what has become of the last year and perceive that incidents and intelligence pass over me without leaving any impression he then solemnly says this is not the life to which heaven is promised and he earnestly resolves an amendment footnote ibid page fifty one boswell end footnote it was his custom to observe certain days with a pious abstraction namely new year's day the day of his wife's death good friday easter day and his own birthday he this year says i have now spent fifty-five years in resolving having from the earliest time almost that i can remember been forming schemes of a better life i have done nothing the need of doing therefore is pressing since the time of doing is short o oh god grant me to resolve aright and to keep my resolutions for jesus christ's sake amen footnote prayers and meditations page fifty eight boswell it was on his birthday that he said this he wrote on the same day i have outlived many friends i have felt many sorrows i have made few improvements in his vision of theodore works volume nine page one seven four he describes the state of mind which he has recorded in his meditations there were others whose crime it was rather to neglect reason than to disobey her and who retreated from the heat and tumult of the way not to the bowers of intemperance but to the maze of indolence they had this peculiarity in their condition that they were always in sight of the road of reason always wishing for her presence and always resolving to return to-morrow such a tenderness of conscience such a fervent desire of improvement will rarely be found it is surely not decent in those who are hardened in indifference to spiritual improvement to treat this pious anxiety of johnson with contempt a severe attack of hypochondria i type fifty five about this time he was afflicted with a very severe return of the hypochondriac disorder which was ever lurking about him he was so ill as notwithstanding his remarkable love of company to be entirely averse to society the most fatal symptom of that malady dr adams told me that as an old friend he was admitted to visit him and that he found him in a deplorable state sighing groaning talking to himself and restlessly walking from room to room he then used this emphatical expression of the misery which he felt 
I would consent to have a limb amputated to recover my spirits. Footnote. See Appendix F. End of footnote. Johnson's Particularities, Anno Domini, 1764. Talking to himself was indeed one of his singularities ever since I knew him. I was certain that he was frequently uttering pious ejaculations, for fragments of the Lord's Prayer have been distinctly overheard. Footnote. It used to be imagined at Mr. Thrale's when Johnson retired to a window or corner of the room by perceiving his lips in motion and hearing a murmur without audible articulation that he was praying. But this was not always the case, for I was once, perhaps unperceived by him, writing at a table so near to the place of his retreat that I heard him repeating some lines in an ode of Horace over and over again as if by iteration to exercise the organs of speech and fix the ode in his memory aureat cives acuisse ferum quograves persas melius perirent aureat pugnas odes book one poem two line twenty one our sons shall hear shall hear to latest times of roman arms with civil gore imbrued which better had the Persian foe subdued, Francis. It was during the American War, Burney. Boswell, in his Hebrides, October the 12th, 1773, records, Dr. Johnson is often uttering pious ejaculations when he appears to be talking to himself, for sometimes his voice grows stronger and parts of the Lord's Prayer are heard. In the same passage he describes other particularities, and adds in a note, It is remarkable that Dr. Johnson should have read this account of some of his own peculiar habits, without saying anything on the subject, which I hoped he would have done. See post-December 1784, note and footnote. His friend Mr. Thomas Davies, of whom Churchill says, That Davies hath a very pretty wife. When Dr. Johnson muttered, Lead us not into temptation, used, with waggish and gallant humour, to whisper Mrs. Davies, You, my dear, are the cause of this. He had another particularity of which none of his friends ever ventured to ask an explanation. It appeared to me some superstitious habit which he had contracted early, and from which he had never called upon his reason to disentangle him. This was his anxious care to go out or in at a door or passage by a certain number of steps from a certain point, or at least so as that either his right or his left foot, I am not certain which, should constantly make the first actual movement when he came close to the door or passage. Thus I conjecture, for I have upon innumerable occasions observed him suddenly stop, and then seem to count his steps with a deep earnestness, and when he had neglected or gone wrong in this sort of magical movement, I have seen him go back again, put himself in a proper posture to begin the ceremony, and having gone through it, 
break from his abstraction walk briskly on and join his companion Footnote. it is vain to try to find a meaning in every one of his particularities which i suppose are mere habits contracted by chance of which every man has some that are more or less remarkable boswell's hebrides october the twelfth seventeen seventy three the love of symmetry and order which is natural to the mind of man betrays him sometimes into very whimsical fancies this noble principle says a french author loves to amuse itself on the most trifling occasions you may see a profound philosopher says he walk for an hour together in his chamber and industriously treading at every step upon every other board in the flooring the spectator number six three two mr s white miscellanea nova page forty nine tells how from old mr sheridan's house in bedford street opposite henrietta street with an opera-glass he watched johnson approaching i perceived him at a good distance working along with a peculiar solemnity of deportment and an awkward sort of measured step upon every post as he passed along he deliberately laid his hand but missing one of them when he had got at some distance he seemed suddenly to recollect himself and immediately returning carefully performed the accustomed ceremony and resumed his former course not omitting one till he gained the crossing this mr sheridan assured me was his constant practice End of footnote. a strange instance of something of this nature even when on horseback happened when he was in the isle of skye footnote journal of a tour to the hebrides third edition page three one six boswell the day that we left talisker he bade us ride on he then turned the head of his horse back towards talisker stopped for some time then wheeled round to the same direction with ours and then came briskly after us boswell's hebrides october the twelfth seventeen seventy three and a footnote Sir Joshua Reynolds has observed him to go a good way about rather than cross a particular alley in Leicester Fields. But this Sir Joshua imputed to his having had some disagreeable recollection associated with it. That the most minute singularities which belonged to him and made very observable parts of his appearance and manner may not be omitted it is requisite to mention that while talking or even musing as he sat in his chair he commonly held his head to one side towards his right shoulder and shook it in a tremulous manner moving his body backwards and forwards and rubbing his left knee in the same direction with the palm of his hand in the intervals of articulating he made various sounds with his mouth sometimes as if ruminating or what is called chewing the cud sometimes giving a half whistle sometimes making his tongue play backwards from the roof of his mouth as if clucking like a hen and sometimes protruding it against his upper gums in front as if pronouncing quickly under his breath tu, tu, tu. 
this accompanied sometimes with a thoughtful look but more frequently with a smile generally when he had concluded a period in the course of a dispute by which time he was a good deal exhausted by violence and vociferation he used to blow out his breath like a whale this i supposed was a relief to his lungs and seemed in him to be a contemptuous mode of expression as if he had made the arguments of his opponent fly like chaff before the wind i am fully aware how very obvious an occasion i here give for the sneering jocularity of such as have no relish of an exact likeness which to render complete he who draws it must not disdain the slightest strokes but if witlings should be inclined to attack this account let them have the candour to quote what i have offered in my defence illness of joshua reynolds anno domini seventeen sixty five he was for some time in the summer at Easton Mordet, Northamptonshire, on a visit to the Reverend Dr. Percy, now Bishop of Dromore. Whatever dissatisfaction he felt at what he considered as a slow progress in his intellectual improvement, we find that his heart was tender and his affections warm, as appears from the following very kind letter. To Joshua Reynolds, Esquire, in Leicester Fields, London. Dear Sir, I did not hear of your sickness till I heard likewise of your recovery, and therefore escaped that part of your pain which every man must feel, to whom you are known as you are known to me. Having had no particular account of your disorder, I know not in what state it has left you. If the amusement of my company can exhilarate the languor of a slow recovery, I will not delay a day to come to you. For I know not how I can so effectually promote my own pleasure as by pleasing you, or my own interest as by preserving you, in whom, if I should lose you, I should lose almost the only man whom I call a friend. Pray let me hear of you from yourself or from dear Miss Reynolds. Footnote. Sir Joshua's sister, for whom Johnson had a particular affection, and to whom he wrote many letters, which I have seen, and which I am sorry her too nice delicacy will not permit to be published. Boswell. Whilst the company at Mr. Thrale's was speculating upon a microscope for the mind, Johnson exclaimed, I never saw one that would bear it except that of my dear Miss Reynolds, and hers is very near to purity itself, Northcote's Reynolds. Once, said Northcote, there was a coolness between her and her brother. She wished to set forth to him her grievances in a letter. Not finding it easy to write, she consulted Johnson, who offered to write a letter himself, which, when copied, shall pass as her own this he did it began i am well aware that complaints are always odious but complain i must 
such a letter as this she saw would not pass with sir joshua as her own and so she could not use it ibid of johnson's letters to her malone published one and mr croker several more madame d'arblay in the character she draws of her memoirs of dr burney says that dr johnson tried in vain to cure her of living in an habitual perplexity of mind and irresolution of conduct which to herself was restlessly tormenting and to all around her was teasingly wearisome in the footnote make my compliments to mr mudge i am dear sir your most affectionate and most humble servant samuel johnson at the reverend mr percy's at easton moored at northamptonshire by castle ashby august the nineteenth seventeen sixty four johnson at cambridge i tied fifty six seventeen sixty five i tied fifty six early in the year seventeen sixty five he paid a short visit to the university of cambridge with his friend mr beauclerc there is a lively picturesque account of his behaviour on this visit in the gentleman's magazine for march seventeen eighty five being an extract of a letter from the late dr john sharp the two following sentences are very characteristical he drank his large potations of tea with me, interrupted by many an indignant contradiction and many a noble sentiment. Several persons got into his company the last evening at Trinity, where about twelve he began to be very great, stripped poor Mrs. Macaulay to the very skin, then gave her for his toast and drank her in two bumpers. Footnote, see Appendix C, end of footnote. The strictness of his self-examination and scrupulous Christian humility appear in his pious meditation on Easter Day this year. I purpose again to partake of the Blessed Sacrament, yet when I consider how vainly I have hitherto resolved at this annual commemoration of my Saviour's death, to regulate my life by his laws i am almost afraid to renew my resolutions the concluding words are very remarkable and show that he laboured under a severe depression of spirits since the last easter i have reformed no evil habit my time has been unprofitably spent and seems as a dream that has left nothing behind. My memory grows confused, and I know not how the days pass over me. Good Lord, deliver me. Footnote, Praise and Meditations, page 61, Boswell, end footnote. No man was more gratefully sensible of any kindness done to him than Johnson, there is a little circumstance in his diary this year which shows him in a very amiable light july the second i paid mr simpson ten guineas which he had formerly lent me in my necessity and for which tetty expressed her gratitude july the eighth i lent mr simpson ten guineas more 
here he had a pleasing opportunity of doing the same kindness to an old friend which he had formerly received from him indeed his liberality as to money was very remarkable the next article in his diary is july sixteenth i received seventy-five pounds footnote his quarter's pension and a footnote lent mr davis twenty-five trinity college dublin anno domini seventeen sixty five johnson created doctor of laws itard fifty six trinity college dublin at this time surprised johnson with the spontaneous compliment of the highest academical honours by creating him doctor of laws footnote mr croker misunderstanding a passage in hawkins writes hawkins says that he disliked to be called doctor as reminding him that he had been a schoolmaster what hawkins really says life page four four six is this his attachment to oxford prevented johnson from receiving this honour as it was intended and he never assumed the title which it conferred he was as little pleased to be called doctor in consequence of it as he was with the title of domine which a friend of his once incautiously addressed him by he thought it alluded to his having been a schoolmaster it is clear that the it in the last line refers only to the title of domine murphy life page ninety eight says that johnson never assumed the title of doctor till oxford conferred on him the degree boswell states post march thirty first seventeen seventy five note it is remarkable that he never so far as i know assumed his title of doctor but called himself mr johnson in this as i show there boswell seems to be not perfectly accurate i do not believe hawkins's assertion that johnson was little pleased to be called doctor in consequence of his dublin degree in boswell's hebrides most of which was read by him before he received his oxford degree he is commonly styled doctor boswell says in a note on august fifteenth seventeen seventy three it was some time before i could bring myself to call him doctor had johnson disliked the title it would have been known to boswell mrs thrale it is true in her letters to him after he had received both his degrees commonly speaks of him as mr johnson we may assume that he valued his oxford degree of m a more highly than the dublin degree of l l d for in the third edition of the abridgment of his dictionary published in seventeen sixty six he is styled samuel johnson a m in his lives of the poets he calls himself simply samuel johnson he had by that time risen above degrees in his journey to the hebrides works volume nine page fourteen after stating that an english or irish doctorate cannot be obtained by a very young man he continues it is reasonable to suppose that he who is by age qualified to be a doctor 
has in so much time gained learning sufficient not to disgrace the title or wit sufficient not to desire it the diploma which is in my possession is as follows omnibus ad quos praesentes literae pervenerint salutem nos propositus et socii seniores collegii sacrosanctae et individuae trinitatis regina elisabetta juxta dublin testamo samueli johnson amigero footnote trinity college made him it should seem armiger at the same time that it made him doctor of laws in the footnote of egregiam scriptorum elegantiam et utilitatem gratiam concessum fuisse pro gradu totoratus in utroque jure octavo die julii anno domini millesimo septicentesimo sexagesimo quinto in cuius rei testimonium singulorum manus et sigulum quo in hisce ultimo apposuimus decesimo tertio die iurii anno domini millesimo septicentesimo sexagesimo quinto william clement francis andrews r murray thomas wilson tripositus robert law thomas leland michael kearney this unsolicited mark of distinction conferred on so great a literary character did much honour to the judgment and liberal spirit of that learned body johnson acknowledged the favour in a letter to dr leland one of their number but i have not been able to obtain a copy of it footnote see appendix d for this letter end footnote he appears this year to have been seized with a temporary fit of ambition for he had thoughts both of studying law and of engaging in politics his prayer before the study of law is truly admirable september the twenty sixth seventeen sixty five almighty god the giver of wisdom without whose help resolutions are vain without whose blessing study is ineffectual enable me if it be thy will to attain such knowledge as may qualify me to direct the doubtful and instruct the ignorant to prevent wrongs and terminate contentions and grant that i may use that knowledge which i shall attain to thy glory and my own salvation for jesus christ's sake amen Footnote prayers and meditations page sixty six boswell and footnote his prayer in the view of becoming a politician is entitled engaging in politics with h blank blank n no doubt his friend the right honourable william gerard hamilton footnote single speech hamilton as he was commonly called though in the house of commons he had spoken more than once for above thirty sessions together, however, he held his tongue. Prior's Burke, end of footnote. The Honourable William Gerard Hamilton, for whom, during a long acquaintance, he had a great esteem, and whose conversation he once paid this high compliment. I am very unwilling to be left alone, sir, and therefore I go with my company down the first pair of stairs, in some hopes 
that they may perhaps return again. I go with you, sir, as far as the street door. In what particular department he intended to engage does not appear, nor can Mr. Hamilton explain. Footnote. See Appendix E for an explanation. End footnote. His prayer is in general terms. Enlighten my understanding with a knowledge of right, and govern my will by thy laws, that no deceit may mislead me, nor temptation corrupt me, that I may always endeavour to do good, and hinder evil. Footnote, Prayers and Meditations, page 67, Boswell. There is nothing upon the subject in his diary, End of section 60.